0: Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello, my name is Charlotte Stoner and welcome to our podcast recording for the NIHR Dementia Researcher website. This week we'll be discussing how to choose a postdoc and finding the right PhD. Today I'm joined by Christopher Madan, Angelique Mavridaris, and Suzanne Hill. Christopher is an assistant professor at the University of Nottingham. His areas of interest include memory, ageing, brain structure and functions using MRI. Angelique is a clinical research fellow and consultant in public health at the University of Cambridge. Angelique's areas of research include ageing, dementia and infectious diseases from a global health perspective. Suzanne is a PhD student, a clinical teacher and also a pharmacist at the University of Bradford. Her research interests include medication management when people with dementia are moving between a care home and hospital setting. So thank you very much for joining us today and I look forward to what I think will be a very interesting discussion for a topic that I'm sure most early career researchers have come across. So identifying an area of interest to study in or to work in requires not only an awareness of where our own curiosity resides, but also an appreciation of the reality in which we can explore those interests. It also requires a personal level of enthusiasm or pragmatism. Beyond the search process itself, there's a degree of compromise when identifying any meaningful opportunities when embarking on a PhD or a postdoc project. Topic, supervisor and location are all tricky decisions, so how can we make them? I'm hoping our panel today will be able to help. So to get things started, what I'd like to do is to ask each of our panelists to just briefly describe what their PhD involved. So Christopher, if I come to you first.
1: Sure. So yeah, thank you for having me. So my PhD may be a little bit different from the people kind of listening to this podcast. I was more interested in kind of just basic, how does memory work? So not kind of a clinical perspective itself, that's something that developed over time, but what makes some information more memorable. And then over the course of my PhD and some of the different studies I did came to look at emotion and reward and basically how these motivational type factors influence our memory for everyday things and more kind of in the experimental setting. And basically my studies were looking at younger adults. So not applied yet, but that's a thing over time. Great.
0: And Angelique, what was your PhD about or is because you are in fact (laughs) an actual PhD student, aren't you? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So my PhD is currently bringing together two major public health challenges, dementia and infection. We know a lot about infections as a cause of dementia, but we know less about dementia progression and infection, the role of infection rather, in people with dementia. So I'm exploring infections and the impact of infections on dementia progression. And I look at incidents, I look at outcomes, and I look potential for prevention.
3: Brilliant. And Suzanne, what about yours? Um, yep, yeah, so I'm currently studying a PhD also. Mine is about investigating the quality and continuity of medication management systems when people living with dementia in the care home setting move between the care home and hospital setting.
0: Brilliant. So I suppose the first step in, in deciding to do a PhD is where do you look? Where, where are the PhDs advertised? Um, Christopher, where did you see yours? Did you have to approach supervisors or?
1: Sure, so I, one thing that maybe is also relevant is think about which, like I'd say across countries there's probably differences. Uh, yeah. So I, for my sake, know a bit less about how a student in the UK might look for a PhD in the what websites or something you might look to. But at least if you have some idea of like what university may be contacting people at the university that you did your undergrad studies at, then to look at the list of like, who are the faculty in the departments that might be relevant who might have interests that are kind of overlapping with what you think you might want to do and to kind of reach out and see if you can meet with them in person, especially, again, if you're in the same city, and just try and have a chat with them and see if there's some kind of actually overlap in terms of, let's say, personality and that stuff as well and not just the topic and seeing kind of what are they working on currently that might not be reflected in, say, their publications and their kind of website profile.
0: So I imagine some people might be a little bit nervous about maybe emailing professors or or doctors at institutions would you just advise them to go for it
1: like be professional but definitely go for it so at least in as an undergrad you likely emailed some of your professors in terms of your your classes but then also those people are doing research too so those might not be the people that you want as your supervisor just in terms of topic but you were able to approach them and sure it's a different context but it's not that much different to email someone else at a different university or, again, even if it was a, at the same where you are currently.
3: And what about Suzanne? How did you how did you come to do your PhD? Um, so I was quite fortunate in that I was working at the University of Bradford at the time um, when I heard about the Alzheimer's Society funded doctoral training centre being set up at Bradford. Um, so I was kind of, I suppose, during my Master's in Research uh, methods studies. Um, I had been working with my supervisor who I've continued with um, w- with my PhD and so we had discussed a number of um, potential PhDs of which the Alzheimer's Society one was, was the one that I have now gone forth and, and uh, studied further. Um, but the other things were, I also looked at the NIHR um, fellowships and that type of thing as well, went to the um, there was kind of study, study days and things that were run by the uh, NIHR that I attended so I I considered a number of um, different opportunities but it was the Alzheimer's Society one that I was most drawn to so that's the one that I I went with in the end And do they, they advertise these on websites? and? Yeah they do advertise on websites as well, it was just that because I was kind of within the institution I suppose that it was it was easier in terms of um I didn't I'm also because I had a family and the location of the PhD was important for me um so that I I had that to consider as well so for me it just all fell into place brilliant and Angelique
0: did you identify yours by another means how did you go come about doing a PhD
2: well, I guess for me, I, I started out as an academic clinical fellow in public health. So I knew that I wanted to continue on an academic track. So I knew about the R fellowships and other funding body fellowships. Um, and I guess we talk about the three P's, person, place and project. Um, but I think there was always a fourth P for me, and that was was passion. It had to be something that I was super passionate about because I knew otherwise I'd, I'd lose interest or I'd just... <laughs> it's going to be hard enough as it is. Without passion, I think you'd struggle. So I thought about the areas that I was really passionate in and they were dementia, older people and infection and I'd I'd worked in those areas. So I kind of, keeping in mind that I had to prepare a grant proposal and kind of put the PhD together myself, I thought about those two areas and how I could combine them um, and then thought about the people that could help me with that process. So supervisors that could potentially and were potentially best placed to help with a topic, help with the skills that I'd need to achieve um, and that sort of thing. And they weren't in my host institution at the time. So I did, as Christopher had mentioned, um, approach them randomly. Uh, Luckily, (laughs) all three of them, because I I kind of felt I needed expertise in three specific areas, were very open, um, really, really helpful and really welcoming without knowing me at all. So I, I would I would agree I'd say just just go for it and do what you feel is right for what you're passionate about to make it work.
0: And were those those three experts that you contacted were they different institutions or
2: all three of them were? Oh um, right, right. and that and that is something I say it with reservation because it was something that came up at interview whether this was a good or a bad thing. Um, for me, I felt it was a good thing because I'd been in one institution and I felt I needed to gain experience and, you know, learn about different styles, different things from different places. So it worked out well for me. But I had to I had to show that it could work and had to um, reassure the funding body that this isn't something that would you know, be a deterrent in the future. But just building that team um, and showing the strength of it was really important and I think made a lot of difference to my PhD as it is now. And did you did you have to travel like back and forth to for meetings with supervisors and things? I do travel. Um, I have two sort of research team meetings a year that I organise, um, but I've also got blocks of time. So I have a block of time at a visit as a visiting scholar at another institution coming up later this year. That'll be for six months. Um, I have one main host institution that I'm kind of based at but I do I will have two blocks of time visiting and then I'm able to kind of go between departments and um, fortunately my funder is funding that which makes it, that makes it a lot easier, easier. <laughs> and really enriching as well. Mm.
0: So we, we've touched upon it briefly talking about passion and, and place and but what are the what are the other things that are really important when you're when you're undertaking a PhD because it's it's 3 years or I think up to 7 years part time so that's a huge commitment. Mm-hmm. What are the things you should really consider before you start this this journey? So Christopher, what do you think?
1: So I think one of the things that people tend to not think about as much as they should. So sure there's the place and the project, but to some degree what's really going with that is who your supervisor is. So like there's let's say I'll just kind of give an example that I can relate to better. Let's say studying emotion and memory. Lots of people study that, and there are specific different places which you might have your own preference of like where you're willing to live or move to or whatnot. But then they're not kind of interchangeable that there's just different people studying these, this topic. They're people with their own kind of broader views of their research, and like you should read their papers for sure beforehand. But then also, if whatever possible, because this might be a bit difficult in some cases, but try and meet with them and actually have a conversation with who your potential supervisor would be and see kind of how you get along. And if you can go that far, if you can get a little bit further and talk with some of the current students or even maybe more so former students of the supervisor and see how they might reflect on their own kind of supervision experience and see how like the working style in terms of expectations, how often they want to meet, just how they kind of talk to you. Those sorts of things are very important, and like yes, you have to be passionate about the topic like that's still very important, obviously, but it should be at least a somewhat enjoyable experience and, like, it can be stressful and it, I'm sure it will be no matter what. I don't think there's a way around that, but how like let's say when the supervisors may be a little bit stressed with you as the student, how do they communicate that? People just generally differ in that, and that's something that it's hard to tell up front. But then if you can try and talk with the person beforehand, and again, especially um, current and former students, they might be able to pass on some of that information and that should be able to inform your decision and makes a big difference. Because if that is something you're doing for years of your life, it'd be nice to work with someone who's supportive and, and can communicate in a way that you're, like works well and not something that adds additional stress beyond the kind of part that has to be there in a sense of a PhD in itself.
0: And what about you, Susan, uh Suzanne, Angelique, <laughs> are there anything, any other factors that you think are really important when you're considering doing um, a PhD?
3: Well, seconding what what everybody else has said, the, the, you know, the, the passion kind of goes without saying. You. It's got to be something that you're passionate about to stick with it. Um, <clears throat> and I suppose that's a that's a passion in terms of the topic, and also. Um, with regards to what Christopher was saying about the uh, supervisors as well that the supervisors and also the wider institution that you're working within are um, all kind of working in a in the, in the field the topic of the, of your interest and also that maybe the methods and approaches that people use as well if you if you're wedded to a particular approach that that uh, institution supports or has at least some expertise in supporting um that approach, the the location was really important for me as I mentioned earlier because um, I have children, so I was kind of uh, limited in terms of how far afield I could move. Um, so th- so that was important for me, and also, um, I suppose if you're an international student as well, which some of my colleagues are, there are other um, considerations, and I think Christopher mentioned about is it a location that you that you you know is is the housing you know all these considerations practical considerations is there a good postgraduate um, community there is is there a vibrant postgraduate community that is that something that's important to you for from a pay pay support perspective um, and also a social perspective you've got to have some downtime as well um, and as Christopher said with supervisors luckily I. I knew some of my supervisors. I didn't know others. I'm quite fortunate in both, both my passion for medicines and um, studying dementia both come together at Bradford. Luckily, there's this kind of good, strong faculties or schools of of pharmacy and and um, dementia studies that kind of come together. So it was fortunate for me that that came together within the one institution. And there's fantastic support and um, academics within within those disciplines there. Um, so yeah I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that we've not what about you Angelo Considered.
2: You... so for me and I, I spent a long time thinking about it I, I still remember how long it actually took me I think a lot of thinking goes into these things and you know when you're in it you forget but what was really important to me was that it needed to be something that would take me to where I want to go so I had an idea of what I wanted to achieve what I wanted to do what my calling was and the PhD I felt had to be a stepping stone or a door that would open me up to those post possibilities and the potential and where I wanted to go next so that was a really important
3: consideration for me in planning the PhD as well. I think also funding as well mm-hmm. um the funding of the PhD and what what you're able to um stand you know what, what yeah. kind of funding you can you can um manage with. So I think considering the financial the financial considerations are really important. Um and and obviously some people self fund but then if if you're looking for something that's funded, um, those are important considerations. Yeah, I suppose that's very
0: true because depending on the the funding body, actually the the stipend and thing can can Mm. differ quite a lot. So if you get it from a university, I believe they're meant to be slightly better than sort of um economic and social research council or alzheimer's society how how are you guys funded if you don't mind me asking
1: so i'll I'll give a slightly different answer than what you actually asked so like as as i am faculty now i have students contacting me about to like potentially be phd students under my supervision so i'll answer more in terms of what i know of the uk and how it works in nottingham rather than my own less relevant for argument's sake situation to hear so nottingham Basically, we go more for trying to get half of it funded by one of the doctoral training programs. Let's say, at least for psychology, ends up being ESRC or BBSRC, um, partly based on like what the scope of the project is, Um, and then the department covers the, the school covers the other half. So then, at least what I've kind of gone with, and I think seems to work, is more for the potential student to contact the supervisor and get some guidance. So, like, the school website should have some information as well. But if someone contacts me, then I'll say, here's some of the different project ideas that I'm thinking that could kind of be the seed of an idea for a, a PhD proposal. And here are the relevant funding sources that at least I know of. So it'd be I'd, it, I'd be happy if the student was able to find something else beyond that, and that's great. But at least I'm happy to provide some guidance to, like, not that the student has to figure all of these things out. Um, so at least if there is somewhat of... A narrower set of people that you as a, as the kind of student trying to apply um, want to contact if the supervisor is wants to take on students i think that's kind of a minimal thing that they can do really easily but it's quite a bit more work for you is to figure out what funding agencies at that respective university that would fit the project ideas that would go with that supervisor they would already know and just ask them So maybe that makes it also maybe a little bit less daunting that you don't have to have everything prepared when you first contact, like send that first email. um, And that's less on you and easier to scope out your possible options then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very good advice. Uh, Sorry, Suzanne, I know you're funded by Alzheimer's Society because we've already said, haven't we? Angelique, what's
3: your funding body? So I'm NIHR funded. NHR funded. Yes, of course. Sorry. Um, I think the other thing is with those um, funding opportunities as well, I know with being part of the Doctor Hall Training Centre there are other things that come alongside the the funding, so there's the funding but there, there might be opportunities, so for example I might have the opportunity for international travel or having mm-hmm. um, in, international advisors associated with your PhD, um, having the opportunity to work with stakeholders Uh, we have a stakeholder panel a care reference panel and so there's really good links um, into I think more so now where it's increasingly important that the research is translated into practice there's all those kind of opportunities as well that I suppose are kind of Bonuses (laughs) Bonuses yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the PhD. The the um so I've enjoyed all those aspects of my PhD as well. Um, it's kind of an extra thing to manage, but it it's a fantastic opportunity.
0: Yeah, yeah. A PhD has got to have some upsides, hasn't it? <laughs> it's yeah. got to have some.
3: <laughs> it has.
0: <laughs> so once you finish your PhD, you have to make that jump from a PhD to a postdoc. Um, I know two of our panelists here are current PhD students. So what I'd like to ask from them is what are the things that what what are you going to consider when you're making that jump what's important for you what will you be looking for in a postdoc position so angelique if i come to you first
2: i think i think it kind of it brings together a lot of things that we've been discussing as phd points so mm. again you know the person place project i think i've started out building my skill set and my PhD has been a fantastic training opportunity but at the end of it I know that I'll, I'll probably need to build on that so I need to think of the training elements of what direction I want to go in. Um, I touched briefly on where I'm hoping to go in my career as a whole so I'm hoping to expand my global public health research and that's the direction I know I want to travel in and that's hopefully where my postdoc can take me to. Um, again we've, we've talked about location, which I think is another consideration. I've just had a little girl, so I will need to think about location quite carefully. So as much as I would love to take it to another institution, because I really believe in the idea that you can move around and learn more, we've got to be practical at the same time. So it's trying to juggle or balance or um, bring all those concepts (laughs) and elements together um, that will hopefully contribute to it. But again, the underlying bit for me is always it's got to be something that excites me and that I really believe in.
0: Mm. So for you, it'd probably be a little bit topic based. You you want to carry on with the global health stuff and that's something you're really passionate about. So when you're looking for a postdoc, it's, it's kind of the topic that is really pulling you towards a postdoc, would you say? It will. But yeah. at the same time, balancing all the practical considerations yeah. <laughs> that I need to. So, yes. <laughs> Uh, Suzanne, what about you? When you're looking for a postdoc, what's your ideal job?
3: Um, well, I suppose I'm slightly less certain than, than Angelique. I wish I was more clear in my mind <laughs> which direction That's I want awesome. to go yeah. in. <laughs> um, but currently I I do the research alongside um, teaching as well. So I've got a teaching position at Bradford, which I also really enjoy. Um, so I've kind of got both of those aspects that, you know, are... Uh, you don't combine the two. Well, the I'm not really fully into the research yet, so I'm hoping that it's something that I that I really enjoy doing. Um, it, it's been fantastic so far, uh, so I would anticipate that we'll continue on the research route. But then for me, there's whether I continue that research in a purely academic setting, and I combine it with teaching, maybe. Um but also the opportunity to go back into the clinical setting and lead research in a in a different institution, you know, in hospital or so I suppose there's part of me that's kind of keeping my eyes open <laughs> as to what opportunities um emerge, bearing in mind the practicalities of having a young family, um and also money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah dare I say it. Um, but, you know, we've got to be practical about these things. Also, you know, having three children costs money. So <laughs> um, so there's, there's also that. Um, but like Angelique, you know, the, the the excitement and the passion and the networking and the vibrancy that comes with a, a, a research career definitely ap- appeals to me and I would love to do that. There's a lot of really exciting patient safety sorry, patient safety and dementia work streams going on within um, the locality where I am currently. So hopefully there might be some opportunities there that I uh, can take advantage of.
0: And Christopher, you have made that jump from yes. PhD to postdoc. What was your experience of that? Did you have to compromise on anything? or No. <laughs>
1: um, so I guess although the thought process was kind of think of from the supervisors that I worked with and the research that I did relative to kind of the bigger picture of like what I want to be studying in more of a career kind of scale what kind of skills were I kind of currently missing and where who would have the ability to give me that kind of experience so for argument's sake so I had done some research on emotion memory, but that's a fairly broad field. So I wanted to work with someone else who would have that kind of expertise and had done some MRI work before that point, but I wanted some a lab that let's say everyone did MRI imaging and that that was just a staple in the lab. Whereas before I was the only one in kind of the respective labs that I was in doing that, which took a lot more work to just figure out basic things and for argument's sake, less confident that I was doing it right. So then I wanted a lab that had both of those elements and one thing that wasn't quite as planned initially but ended up being really important then at least in my kind of trajectory from that point forward was also that lab did work doing aging so then that kind of wasn't really something i was thinking of when i was looking for the postdoc but was something i knew that the lab did and like i see what i thought of it and that has actually quite dramatically changed my career trajectory relative to what i thought let's see when i was looking for the postdoc so at least the thing to plan for is, what kind of skills do you think you want that you don't yet have, and kind of what's the best way to acquire them? And then again, similar to the advice for a PhD, try and talk to these people beforehand. And hopefully as let's say a current PhD student looking for a postdoc, you have more ability to do that than you did kind of earlier stages where you at conferences or at meetings. And also let's say having a better idea of the research because as a PhD student, I would hope that someone could read the papers of a given researcher and get more out of it than someone looking for the PhD in the first place. So you're going kind to of take the skills that you use to get to the PhD and at least kind of this line of reasoning is that you want to continue the academia, which I'll say is not something that you have to by any means to do, but that's the line of the the kind of theme for the podcast. <laughs> um, but definitely think about like, what, what do you want to do? So you'd say you're wrapping up your PhD. What's important to you? What aspects did you like or not like so let's say if there was a teaching component that was or a marking or some sort of that thing did did you enjoy that part do you want to go more in that direction do you want to go in more in a research direction do you want to kind of have more of an administrative kind of facilitator like being a research coordinator taking the skills that you gained but then think about which way you want to go and if it is a postdoc with kind of the idea of going kind of through a research career path then to think about what do you what kind of direction do you see that going it very likely will change quite a bit along the way um, but at least try and think the best as you can at that point about where you see it going and what would kind of facilitate that path
0: brilliant so from over here it kind of sounds like more topic and sort of the the topic that you want to be researching is kind of more important but Christopher you're saying more it's it's about identifying where, which methods you want to use and maybe expanding your skill set to include other things.
1: So I'd still say topic, but I guess I'm, at least the, my point there was to give a bit more advice about how to pick which topic. All uh, right. So to have a bigger idea about your topic than you did for the PhD and then what kind of portions within it that you currently just don't have because you're at that kind of more junior stage and then think about how to have a fuller picture, to have a more coherent research program that's obviously bigger in scope than what your PhD was and to fill in that way um, kind of as a directed way to just have more of a kind of comprehensive approach to the bigger kind of research question that you're interested in.
0: Great. Okay, so I think we're probably at our last question. Um, so it is this. Did you make the right choice? Suzanne, did you make the right choice for your PhD?
3: <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, yes, I most definitely did. Um, <clears throat> there have been challenges. I think my my challenges um, come more from juggling uh, a f- young family and h- having a PhD and a, a teaching position as well. So it's more a strategic um, planning thing. But mo- most definitely chose the right um, the right topic and and positioned at the right institution with the right people supporting me to to further my research in that field. So yeah, definitely.
0: <clears throat> Slight follow-up question. Yeah. <laughs> what what would you say your top tip is for someone who's who's thinking about doing a PhD? What advice would you give to them?
3: Um I would say think about it carefully. Um because it's a big commitment. It's a big commitment both in terms of time and financial commitment so so consider that carefully um, I would say that it's a fantastic um, opportunity it's a fantastic career um I would say that you no matter how much you plan, it's always important to have that element that that allows flexibility because often you may plan things or think things are going to work out in a certain way and and they invariably don't. There's got to be some kind of flexibility there um, to allow things to emerge and happen. Um, But yeah, I would say, go for it. If I can manage it, you can. (laughs) (laughs) And Angelique,
0: did you make the right decision and what would be your top tip for someone who's considering doing a PhD?
2: Definitely feel like I made the right decision. I love what I do. I really, I couldn't see myself doing anything else Um, and I really value the fact that I was able to balance my clinical and academic career and bring the two together. I think it, it looked like something impossible at the beginning but my funder, my employer were great when I first proposed the idea so I'm really loving that interface and feel really fortunate to be in this position. It feels like a real privilege to be able to do research and clinical work alongside each other. So really really happy and would not change it in terms of top tip wow i think we've we've talked and touched on so many top (laughs) tips but i'd say if if this is what you want and if this is what you believe is right for you then just go for it if the first hurdle comes along and you fail second hurdle comes along and you fail don't let it get you down just carry on because i applied a couple of times, I, I think I spent a year and a half almost thinking about these things and writing proposals, doing interviews. It's not easy. It can be really disheartening, demoralizing. You will get rejections, but just persist and and don't give up on your dream. Just go for it.
0: And Christopher, what about you?
1: So I guess the first one is about if I think it worked out as planned or what was
0: Did you make the right choice, PhD or postdoc? Well,
1: I think it all worked out. So I, I recently started as a faculty position, so at least... And I like what I'm doing. So in terms of research career-wise, I guess things have worked out and I'm happy with what I'm doing. Um, As a tip, I guess, somewhat related to that, but even otherwise, things will not kind of go linearly just for, let's say, from project to project and position to the other. That's fine. That's, I'm sure it basically never goes linearly. And that just gives you more breadth of knowledge and experiences. And that's maybe not, might not seem as kind of directly useful, as in why you think it's not linear at the given time, but it will help later on. And that's just other things that you know something about or other experiences that you have that might benefit you in ways that you kind of can't initially plan for. And it's just, it gives you a broader view. Um, as a somewhat separate tip, because I feel like that was still part of the, the, how things worked out, I'd say also look into, in terms of, say, flexibility, like Suzanne mentioned, when you're applying either say, as the PhD or as a postdoc, Also see if there's other supervisors, not just kind of the primary one that you want to work with, that do interesting work. Because maybe, like, end up being collaborators on kind of a follow-up study, maybe not right when you get there, but also having other people talk to you in another research lab and not just the people that you're kind of initially planning to work with, to have a bit more breadth and not be like, oh, if things don't work out, that's all that you have, Um, and just have more options so something to look into that's
3: been really good on my with the group that we work because there's a cohort of seven PhD students in the doctoral training center and everyone's very different approaches and very different disciplines and that does bring something else for everybody else even though the approach is very different so I I agree with that Brilliant. <clears throat> so, over this very interesting half
0: now, we've learnt that passion and practicalities are perhaps very important when you're doing a PhD. It is a commitment, but as long as you enjoy it and you are doing what you want to be doing, then it's 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 generally fine. Is that the yeah. consensus? Yeah.
3: yeah, and it's flexible, which yeah. is yeah. excellent when you when you've got family as well.
1: They have the opportunity to maybe live in different countries as things go. Depends on other constraints, but it's flexible in that sort of way too. Yeah
2: you can really make a difference with your phd and i think if you believe that and if you can make it work it's it's a special journey yeah the yeah.
3: opportunity to make a difference is a mm-hmm. real privilege i agree with that as well mm-hmm.
0: Brilliant, so I think with that it's time to end today's podcast recording. I'd like to thank our panellists, Christopher, Angelique and Suzanne and hope that you enjoyed this recording. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast through SoundCloud or iTunes, tell your friends and colleagues and share via social media using the hashtag ECRDementia. Tweet dem underscore researcher if you'd like to get involved or have any suggestions for future podcasts. Our website is also constantly updated with funding opportunities for those PhD and job listings, so make sure you take a look at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk you can also use the community page of this website to engage with our panelists this evening or any others and please do ask us any further questions you might have thank you and come back soon this was a podcast brought to you by dementia researcher everything you need in one place register today at
1: dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk